Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. Eric, thanks for the thanks for the uh, the if they survive. Just really emphasizing that. I appreciate it. Just want to make sure that that the uh, the expectations are clear. That it's possible that not all three or any of them survive this. I think that uh, that Montgomery is like probably the best possible lead. Plus, I just have a good feeling about him. I feel like he wants to talk about it. I think he's going to be happy to talk with you. Not going to stop you from going to the interview, I guess, but maybe just keep your eyes on Jarvis a little bit. I've read a lot about politics and religion and current events, and he sort of, in his in his last days, had shifted to topics about the military and history of world conflict. How would you describe Arthur Hunt? He would only eat vegetables that I prepared, and he would know if, if I wasn't the one who had done it. Clifford Potter. Did he ever... Um led on to you um, about what he found um, out at the plant? He seemed, I don't know, interested about something going on underneath the plant. When Monty mentioned living to be 100 years old, I'm wondering if something else is going on here. So, you know, pretty quickly you come to the conclusion that it is actually the gold cube um, that is giving off the radiation. So I, I think I can kind of make it hopefully to the car without, um, without, you know, being seen. We live to see another day. Washington, D.C., March 2011. Memories flooded into Portia Marx's head as she sat alone at the restaurant table sipping the last of her water. Her father, General Victor Marks, had been sitting opposite her a few moments ago, but Portia was too distracted to get up and leave. She still heard her father's words in her head. He had said them so casually, as if he didn't understand the impact they'd have on her. She's getting worse, Portia. More like when you were young. I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to help her much longer. Her mother was getting worse. Worse again, he should have said. Regressing. Going back to the way Portia remembered her from childhood the way Portia almost always remembered her, as sad as that felt, though her mother had certainly had stretches when things hadn't been so bad. As Portia looked down into the empty coffee mug that sat in front of her, she remembered another coffee mug that looked just the same, one that her father drank from every morning. She remembered looking across the kitchen counter of her childhood home, where her dad was standing, sipping his coffee and reading the newspaper, when a scream rang out from upstairs. "'Stay here, Portia, do you hear me?' her father had said, much more sternly than he normally spoke to her his army voice, the one he usually reserved for his colleagues, especially those he outranked. He spilled the mug of coffee but barely noticed as he rushed up the stairs. But this was too important. Portia had to see what had happened, and so she waited only a few moments before following her father up the stairs. She rushed to the door of her parents' bedroom and peeked around the corner of the doorframe. She knew it had been her mother who'd screamed, and she knew that whatever had caused it, Portia wouldn't be able to see. Her mother saw things, things that terrified her. That's why she had screamed, Portia was sure. As she looked into the bedroom, she saw her father sitting behind her mother on the bed, arms wrapped tightly around her, trying to calm her down. The look in her mother's face was pure terror, but it was her father's look that hurt her more. He was trying to console her, but he looked as though all hope had abandoned him. It was that face that she remembered most vividly, all these years later. That face, and her mother's words. He's back, Vic. He's back, and he wants to take me with him this time. Portia shook herself back to the present, drained her water glass, and got up to leave. 
When she got into her car, she reached across the passenger seat and opened her glove compartment. She had to dig for the piece of paper, one torn from a notepad which she had stashed in the back of the glove compartment, ensuring that no one would accidentally find it. She reread the note that had been written on it. Portia, call us when you're ready to help. She started to dial the number written below. She was ready. this is probably the most stereotypical GM thing that I could say to start this episode, but I'm someone who uh, mostly GMs doesn't get a chance to play very often. And so doesn't get a chance to um, come up with character concepts very often, but I'm curious for the three of you, what do you think it was that kind of drew you toward creating the character that you created for this scenario um, or the type of character or the profession or anything about them? Like, what do you think, where did it come from? What drew you to it? Yeah. Just curious. Yeah. I have one pretty easily. Actually, I grew up in a very military family and like cousins, aunts, uncles, everyone's in the military and I am not. So I was a little bit curious to play like a female character who did go into that field and was quite successful in it and just see what that would be like. Yeah, I love that. That's bringing something in from your life, but kind of turning it on its head. Yeah, yeah. And being like, oh, I can show all these other people how it's done. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I know for me, from our kind of like preliminary meeting, I kind of got the impression um, that Nick and Sarah were going to go um you know more more government like you know agent um type thing like I, I i got that impression so for me i think it was it was more strategic like i wanted to i wanted to kind of be like a civilian and i wanted to you know do something where i would be able to you know hopefully like get maybe like have some skills that they might not necessarily have um you know like i have like the the very high, like, uh, you know, persuade and, and intelligence and stuff. So I was just kind of thinking that we could, like, diversify our, our uh, skill set. Very selfless of you. Yeah, very, very selfless. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Taking one for the team. A, a couple things for me, I think. One was just to maybe make things a bit easier on myself, like this being the first time playing an RPG, I think I just assumed that this sort of character, at least in Delta Green, maybe it's like a bit more, I don't know, is a bit is a bit more of an obvious choice and like, you know, has a like a set sort of place in this world and those kind of skill sets will will come in handy and maybe not wanting to put myself in, in Beck's shoes of like uh having to, I don't know, do a lot more on my own or 
um, having to be a bit more creative in the, the, the ways that I am like contributing to the team. But then I also think just like from watching uh, like a lot of thrillers or like reading books and movies like along the same lines of Delta Green, like having a character who is like maybe a bit more, uh, maybe just like uh, mentally strong and intelligent and like uh, like a puzzle solving kind of person as opposed to like a macho military person was something that I was keeping in mind. Yeah, I do think it's interesting that, you know, both you, Nick, and Sarah chose to, you know, make more, I don't know, prototypical Delta Green agents, but also both of you kind of went in the direction of it's someone who works behind the scenes. It's someone who's like good at reading people and and good at talking to people and not just like your typical, you know, great at athletics, great at firearms, you know, kind of agent agent i don't know it's 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 interesting and i i i think that i've found in my experience playing delta green at least with the people that i've played with um and maybe this just said something about like the circles that i interact with but like people generally want to make like smart characters for you know for whatever reason like they want the like the intelligence focused ones they want the problem solvers rather than just like the hired gun other than of course my wife the one time she played delta green she was like no I'm going former Green Beret, lives out in the wilderness, like just a just an absolute like elite killer. It's like, okay, all right, I see where we're going with this. Okay, uh, we have, we'll, we'll find balance with other people in the party. I just feel like if I played a character like that, like I wouldn't even know how to talk. Like that's so different than me. I wouldn't know how to do anything. It was like, it'd be too, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like I'd, I'd be making, I would make choices out of character then or like because like that's just not how my brain would think so and i'm not saying that i am you know (laughs) necessarily a super intelligent or smart person but i would at least be thinking a bit more uh along that uh that train of thought and could fake the character a bit better and or i would only have like really unfair stereotypes in my head and i would use those to play and i'm like i don't want to do that especially for like recording (laughs) like Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and she's, she also like, she's, she like loves strategy games. Like she's definitely that type of person. So it was, I I found it interesting that she made that choice, but I I think she had, I think she had fun with, I think at the end of the day for her, it's about having fewer options on what to do. You know, like she wants to play a character whose, whose MO is easy and just, you know, like this is the thing that they do, um, just to make it easier to make decisions. Anyways. So, um, as we um, kind of pick back up into things here, Ben McKissick, uh, our New York Times reporter, um, has just uh, interviewed 98-year-old Montgomery Green, who uh, was the personal assistant for Arthur Hunt, the founder and owner of Hunt Electrodynamics, for uh, about seven years uh, from the time that he left the military to the time that Arthur Hunt was killed in the explosion of the Hunt plant. And then Ben uh, kind of narrowly escaped notice of uh, Deputy Andrazi, who was in the gas and sip for some reason. You're not sure what reason exactly. Uh, maybe he was just swinging by. Maybe he was looking for you. But you were able to kind of sneak out the back door and drive away before Deputy Andrazi noticed you. Uh, meanwhile, Agent Marks, Portia Marks, uh, had been doing some research at the, uh, at the hotel on radiation, um, didn't learn anything that was too terribly new, um, but just kind of looking more deeply into it while uh, Sonny Lau, our, our CIA agent, drove back to Independence, picked up a Geiger counter, 
and then returned. And so uh, the two of them are on their way to Emily Warren's house, uh, the, the, the partner of, of Lucille Mayer, the second victim. Uh, but before we get to our uh, FBI consulting agents, Ben, where do you think you're headed now? You've driven, you've driven away uh, from the gas and sip after after doing this interview. Where are you headed, and kind of what are you thinking coming out of? We didn't really talk about this. What are you thinking coming out of the interview that you had with Montgomery? I, I'm likely headed, I think, back to probably the hotel, um, probably just to you know. Uh, uh, decompress a little bit you know i just uh kind of uh, narrowly escaped uh a, an encounter with the with the sheriff so you know i kind of want to go over um you know what i learned from montgomery I, i'm i'm guessing that i was um you know probably uh probably recorded um the conversation like on my phone so uh, i probably just want to like play it back and and see if there's anything i missed i i was very curious about him uh, about Montgomery saying that that Clifford had told him that you know there was uh, stuff like underneath the plant or underground. Um, so I, yeah, I'm definitely like you know curious as to as to what's out there. Yeah, that makes sense. And remember also that you have you know a lot more tapes sitting back at the hotel that you could that you could listen to to kind of continue to bolster your knowledge about Arthur Hunt. Um, you know, since it seems like there are some suspicious things going on um, with him. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I uh, we, it sounds like uh, we barely uh, skimmed the surface on the on the tapes last night. Uh, you know, it's a late night, so we'll probably uh, listen to to some of those as well. Yeah. So um, you get back to the hotel. Um, you know, you start transcribing some of your notes to kind of get a, a sense of things and also start playing back uh, some of the, some more of the tapes. Um, you know, you start kind of working your way through, waiting for, you know, you know that, you know that uh, Sonny was going to go to Independence, which is a pretty long drive, and then you know that they were going to head over to Emily Warren's house. So you think you have some time uh, before you're going to meet back up with them. And you start listening through. And a couple more uh, interesting things um, you hear about on the tapes that, you know, kind of bring up some things that, that Monty had even talked to you about. Um, and so uh, another one of the tapes you hear uh, Clifford asking, did you ever see what went on below the plant? And this, of course, piques your interest. You know, maybe you're you're kind of looking over notes and just kind of listening, you know, kind of half listening. But then you, you really start focusing in once you hear this question, because it's something that had come, come up in, in, in your interview. Uh, and Montgomery says, Nope, I, I never did. He he never really went down there either. He just, he stayed in his office, the bathysphere, we called it. It was all decked out strange. I, I heard it cost a hundred grand to put together. It was hermetically sealed with big rubber-lipped cast iron doors like a damn battleship. Yeah? Yeah, it was it was all lit by those Klieg light jobbies. You know the ones? It cooked in there, 110, sometimes 120 degrees easy. He liked it. Hell, he loved it. He just sat at this weird desk and drew his plans and cooked. No one but me and him could stand it. I was in the South Pacific for a chunk of time, you understand. Even I found it uncomfortable after a while. What was he working on? I don't really know, except he said it would change the world. The man worked freehand, from memory, just drawing, drawing out things that looked like blueprints from scratch. I mean, with a damn chalk pencil and some paper, and that's it. He just sat there and rattled it off like he was doing the crosswords. What did they look like? 
They're hard to explain. Oh, he wrote in this weird code. It looked like math, like symbols. Then he'd redo the whole thing in English when it was ready to be built. And so that, you know, obviously strikes a few chords with you. You know, Monty had mentioned that he really, that, that Arthur Hunt really liked the heat and had mentioned about how he would just draw these perfect plans freehand for memory. And then one other tape kind of uh, piques your interest as you're listening. You hear Clifford say, Did he ever go outside? Once or twice, I've seen. He wore these old goggles, bake-like goggles with blackout glass when he went. Yeah? Yeah, he could, ju- he could see just fine in the dark. He walked around after hours sometimes in the room surrounding his office in the dark. So he wore them whenever he was in sunlight? Yeah, he liked the heat. He liked the lamps, but something about the sun bugged him. Not his skin, just his eyes. And so you, you know, you continue listening for a few hours. Meanwhile, Portia and Sonny head over to Emily Warren's house. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to dig too deeply into this visit to, to Emily Warren's house because there's not a lot there uh, other than what Ben already discovered. But I'm curious, how are you approaching Emily Warren? What's kind of what's kind of how are you kind of trying to go in there and, and get any information from her? I think pretty pretty cautiously, maybe pretty timidly. We're still not sure who was the one that sort of ratted out Ben to the to the police. And, and yeah, knowing that Ben talked to her just the other day, we don't want to, to cause too much of a stir or too much alarm. So I think trying to make it seem kind of like a, a routine sort of follow-up. You know, we are the new consultants that are working with Independence and, and the Bakersfield unit. And we are just following up on things that they have already checked in on seeing if there's anything they might have missed, but not because of any sort of concern or anything. Maybe trying to ask a couple new questions based on what we've learned in the last day or so, but other than that, nothing else, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. Kind of like perfunctory, almost. I think it'd be weird if we didn't go, but I don't also expect to find much. Yeah, so you, you know, you have a conversation with her. Um, You know, she seems a little distracted, um, obviously sad, you know, the more that she has to, to talk about um, this tragic thing hap- that happened to her. But you don't really get any new information about uh, anything other than what, what Ben had learned the other day. Yeah, one thing I would like to ask Emily about is, um, like, the other people in this town. Like, how did she come to be here? And, like, who else is here? Like, it doesn't seem like there are many jobs or industries, so... Yeah, she tells you that she grew up here. Um, her her parents uh, her parents lived here. She had relatives, you know, a few generations back that worked at the plant, and her parents just stayed, and so she grew up here. And, you know, she says that, that people do various things to, to get by. You know, a lot of people will, will, you know, go into independence a few times a week or some of the other surrounding cities... Um, some people actually even work in independence and so they and and you know just kind of like the remoteness of Hellbend and so we'll make that commute when they need to. But you know there are only 80 you know 80, uh, a little more than 80 people that live here so you know they all kind of do their own thing to get by and she thinks that people stay because they like they like the remoteness. they like being out in the middle of nowhere or they don't know you know they don't have they don't know what to do other than to stay there. it's you know for some of them, it's where they've always been, and so they they just stay. She does say that she's thinking about leaving. You know, maybe 
maybe moving moving to LA or or something like that. You know, she she spent a decent amount of time in LA. It's it's where she met Lucille, and you know, she she really wants to do do what she can to to start over. Um, and being here is has been very difficult. Um, you know, it's only been a few weeks, but it, being here has been very difficult without without Lucille because they had. Even though Lucille wasn't from here, they had started a life together here, and it, you know, it's bringing up a lot of memories. But she doesn't know what she's going to do yet. She does mention also to the two of you that she mentioned to Deputy Andrazi that that a reporter had come around. She doesn't seem perturbed by it or anything like that. She wasn't she wasn't like reporting in, but she mentions it to you just as kind of like you know feeling like she should give all the information possible to these law enforcement agents who are who are here. She mentions it to you and mentions that she told the the sheriff. I think maybe just to, yes, to maybe qualm any concerns she has or just, again, kind of stay under the radar. We can also let her know that Sheriff Mann told us something similar, that a reporter might be in town, and that, yeah, we're, we're keeping our eyes out for, for that. But, uh, but that it, it probably isn't due to anything concerning or, or anything like that. All right, so you you wrap up your conversation with Emily and head back to the Furnace Creek Ranch to kind of touch base with Ben to check in to make sure that nothing crazy happened um, while he was while he was at the gas and sip, and for all of you to decide what's what's next. Um, so I assume you all kind of meet back in one of the hotel rooms um, to check in. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, what what plans do you have? Where do you where do you kind of want to go from here? Um, and and what does any of the new information that you gathered lead you to? I mean, I don't know about you two, but I think everything that we've gathered thus far, uh, everything that that Ben has said from the you know the interview with Monty, there there there's something suspicious about what was going on at the the hunt plant, and even though the plant, you know, went down in the explosion, if we're potentially looking into things that were underneath the plant, underground, um, there could still be some some remnants of, of things that we could, could find. And there's not exactly any more interviews we need to conduct, I don't think. Uh, so maybe doing some, you know, remote investigating on our own is the, the right move. Yeah, I, I agree. I was going to say... Um... You know, I, I, I think we've gathered, um, you know, between the interviews, between between you two kind of going around, you know, the tapes and, and the items you found, I, I think we've got a decent uh, amount of information. And um, yeah, I, I kind of want to see what's, uh, what's out at the plant. I do wish we had those dentist smocks, but, you know, <laughs> a lead outfit or something, but... <laughs> Eric, how uh, how far away did you say the the hunt plant is from sort of the the I don't want to say downtown Hellbend area, but you know from the houses? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's about it's about two and a half miles from Hellbend proper. And is there a a one road access to the grounds of the the plant? Or uh, I know you mentioned there's fencing around that you know isn't really fencing anymore, but um, is there uh, sort of only one way in? I guess is yeah. If you if you kind of you know 
drive out in that direction, you'll you'll find kind of a, an old an old rundown sign that kind of that points toward Hunt Electrodynamics, um, and it 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 looks like a road that maybe was once uh, pretty nice and and used a lot, but now the asphalt is kind of broken up and. But yeah, it seems like there's the one road that leads out to the to where the plant was. Okay. Again, not sure what uh, both of your thoughts are, but I feel like taking that that road wouldn't be too uh, auspicious or anything. And it seems far enough away from places where no one, hopefully, no one would notice us uh, if we were to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. Are there any preparations that you all want to make before heading out there? It sounds like all three of you are gonna gonna head out um, and and assume that it's far enough away from people, and since people don't don't go out there, that that you three are able to travel together. Yeah, any, anything you want to do to get ready, anything you want to make sure that you have with you before heading out there. I mean, definitely the what's it, the Geiger? Is that what it's called? The Geiger counter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we'd want to make sure we have the Geiger counter. I think. You know, we don't want the, the items that we've had to, to, again, go out of our sight or possession. So I think we're still bringing those with us. The same sort mm -hmm. of FBI gear that we had yesterday, that was, you know, that was supplied for us. I'm not sure if there's anything else. I think Ben Ben probably would, would uh, like a gun um, because he's, uh, you know, he, he, he couldn't fly with one since he's not, uh, not, not an agent, but uh, obviously being a... Uh, you know, being a Delta Green agent, uh, you know, he's he's has some some training, I think. Let me uh yeah, I have a twenty in firearms, so I think that's a little something. You've shot uh, you've shot a gun before. Yeah. There is a rifle that was supplied to you by the FBI, along with the two handguns um that that were that were issued to uh Portia and Sonny. Um, so those are the three. Those are the three weapons that you have at this point. I, I would feel much more comfortable uh, with Ben just having the uh, the handgun. Uh, you want the rifle? So I think Sonny will will take the rifle uh, and hopefully not need to to use it. But who knows? Yeah, cool. that works for me. Actually, I guess I should check. I have forty firearms. So do I. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I mean, so you two are both agents, but you're also like, you know, you weren't, your work was primarily undercover, so you weren't doing a lot of, you know, you're not like, neither of you are like master marksmen. Yeah, it's potentially been, uh, been a while since I've handled a, a gun of that size, possibly. You, you've been at a desk, right? Uh, yes, I've been out of the field for almost a couple years now. Anyone feel any need to, to check in with with anyone before, either to, to fill them in or to let them know that we are heading somewhere uh, in case something were to happen. I was wondering that, but do we even want to let Slotkin know that we're looking into all these connections between Clifford and the plant? I guess those were obvious, right? Because he was going there for, like, valuable copper pipes. Yeah, a bit obvious. I mean, um, where they found Clifford's body was relatively close to the plant, right? It was in the middle of the plant. Like he was, he was, he was in, the, he was in the ruins of the right. plant. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think checking in with Slotkin maybe isn't the worst idea, just to let him know that we are, you know, headed to the plant today. To to maybe we can say we're we're just going to be looking at the the sort of crime scene crime scene area where the the body was found to do some looking into that and 
all the other connections that we've made or the the concerns we have about what might be there, we don't have to let it. Yeah, I would probably fire off a, a, an email to my editor as well and just um, kind of say, uh, I kind of summarize the uh, the interview with with Montgomery, um, uh, leaving out the uh, the the weirder aspects um, of what of what he told us, but you know maybe just include a little bit about um, you know him him working at the plant before and you know him being um, friendly uh, with with Clifford uh, the deceased and um, probably just let him know that I was going to be going out. Um, to look at the area where the uh, where the body was found. Yeah, so you're able to you know you're able to to check in with both Slotkin and uh, Ben's editor, and that you know the, there's nothing you know particularly suspicious about what either uh, either of you just said you wanted to share. So uh, they you know they they both tell you to you know keep keep going keep working. Um, sounds like you're sounds like you're following an interesting lead. But nothing much more than that. Um, so you drive out to, you know, down the the broken up asphalt road that leads to Hunt Electrodynamics. Um, and as you get close, you see that there's a a chain link fence that has kind of big gaps in it. You know, every fifty feet or so, and they kind of create a pretty large perimeter around what is now basically a large pile of rubble. Um, and destroyed uh, concrete, you know, some larger concrete slabs, but mostly just kind of small chunks of concrete. Looks like, obviously, as you've been told, that you know this it was pretty well destroyed by by the explosion or whatever whatever it was that brought down the plant. Is it possible to bring the car in? No, I'm just remembering that he was out there on a bobcat, like getting around. At- I'm having a hard time conceptualizing how big this area is. Yeah, the, the area is quite large. The The distance between, like, the fence and the plant is, like, 500 meters, so, like, maybe 1,500 feet. And so it's a, it's a, it's a large area because the plant itself was quite large. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the, there are definitely gaps in the fence big enough that you could drive, you know, especially the, like, FBI-issued SUV that you have into the you know, inside the fence and closer to the, um, to where the plant was. And I'd like to say that Portia also brought the, the map with us and is going to be keeping an eye out for like, if anything matches up. Yeah. Yeah. That's no problem. I think maybe we want to have the, the Geiger counter on hand with us, maybe to see in using that as something to, to maybe lead us in the, some interesting directions. Other than that, uh, I don't know if, using the map or the, the, the crime scene photos that we we have if trying to start where Clifford's body was found, if that's not a terrible place to start, and then going from there. Yeah, I think um, I think uh, my guess is we also have a flashlight as well. Um, I, I know, I think I think you had one earlier when you were in the basement of uh, Clifford's, and since we're probably going to be underground, I think that makes sense. Yeah, we'll definitely have the flashlight. I, I would hope that Porsche has one as well so we have at least a couple flashlights with us I got it all yeah you've got you've got all your you've got all your FBI issued gear plus the things that you found um, you know stored in this SUV and so do you, you drive it you drive it kind of through one of the gaps in the fence or you know over maybe a downed fence and and into into the 
the area where the plant was. It doesn't, you know, you, you get up closer to it, you know, you don't think you're going to be able to drive the SUV, you know, up over through the rubble, but you, you drive up to it and, and get out of the car. Well, I was actually wondering, before we get out of the car, can we kind of just do almost like a lap around the perimeter and just take a look? Yeah, so you, you yeah, you kind of drive around the perimeter of the rubble. And as you kind of pass around kind of the far side from where the road led, you see it looks like there's a space kind of, you know, more toward the middle of the rubble that is that has been completely cleared of rubble. It looks like there might be some kind of holes dug out in that space. Um, so you think maybe this is where Clifford was had like driven the bobcat and was like was digging underneath. And as we're like going around and then, you know, if we drive closer to that part, is the meter change like the radiation levels changing at all? No, you're not getting any reading from the Geiger counter at this point. Okay. I think similar to what was what was discovered in you know, in Clifford's storm cellar, uh, you know, if we're going to find anything out here, uh, I think it's probably going to be underground in some way. We're going to have to, uh, I mean, I guess maybe some, bringing some digging tools with us may have been uh, helpful. But I'm thinking that that cleared area is where we'll want to start looking, maybe. Yeah, I want to, I want to kind of, kind of get out in the clearing and, and, um, get eyes on, on these holes that were dug and, you know, maybe shine the flashlight down there, um, you know, w- without going in first just to see if there's anything that we uh, can make out. Yeah, so, you know, while Clifford may have been able to get a bobcat, which is a piece of equipment that's, you know, meant to kind of move over rough terrain as needed, you know, the uh, you don't think that the SUV can drive over some of these broken down concrete slabs and so you do you do think you're gonna have to get out of the car um, and walk over some of the rubble to to get to the spot that you think maybe he was digging and so you 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 pull up the SUV and you start climbing over these concrete slabs you know you see an occasional like metal strut um, that was like you know holding the building together that like looks like it was you know curled in a way that you know was not supposed to happen. Um, you know, signs of what what looks like a, a ruined building, of course. And you also see some, like, random destroyed, like, electrical devices that are kind of scattered through scattered through the rubble. You know, things that, that would have been in the plant during the 50s when it was destroyed that have just kind of been abandoned here. And you get to the point where you think that Clifford maybe was digging... It's, it's like a, a maybe 20 by 30 foot area uh, that has been completely cleared of rubble. And you, you immediately notice as you get closer that it's covered in bobcat tracks, not the animal bobcat, in <laughs> bobcat machinery tracks, footprints, and like you see some soda cans and some candy bar wrappers. Like it definitely looks like someone was spending some time here. You also see that the dirt the dirt that it, that is in the area that's like been cleared of rubble is that same red dirt that um, that matches uh, what was on the the gloves. But you also see that like you know you kind of expected to see some pretty large holes dug into the ground, but it looks as you're getting closer like the bobcat blade maybe pierced the surface of the ground once or twice, uh, but not much more than that. And 
the only holes are like maybe a foot or two dug into the ground. Um, so it doesn't actually look like a lot of digging was done at this site, but it's clear that like someone with a bobcat, almost certainly Clifford, was like moving around this area. So maybe he was using the bobcat to clear the rubble away or something like that, uh, but he didn't do much digging underground here. I mean, we have to dig a little bit, right? <laughs> That's interesting. And in the storm cellar, we only dug about a foot or two. Only about a foot there as well, right? Yeah, it was the, the items were like a foot down. Hmm. I mean, can we use the helmet to dig a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you've got you, you've got stuff that you can kind of uh, dig out some of the ground if you want. There's no there's no problem with that. You know, you don't maybe you don't have a shovel, but you've got you've got something that can kind of serve as a because we've already like, I don't know if we haven't already done this. I'd love to like walk around Geiger meter. Yeah, I think maybe if, if we don't have maybe the right digging tools with us, we don't see too many uh, places where digging has already been done. The Geiger counter might lead us in some better directions. I'm also just wondering, I mean, we've heard Montgomery discuss, you know, that there was something going on underneath the plant. So if the plant exploded and was destroyed, I'm just wondering if like the if, if there were like these underground levels, if there's I don't know, any signs of like access points to anything like that, or if if this underground stuff that Montgomery was discussing, if that was I don't know, maybe just dug up stuff similar to uh Clifford's storm cellar. Yeah, I would try to look for a a, a way in or uh something if we if we see like a Signs of any um, a cellar, uh, and like you said, an access point, um, a hatch, anything like that. Yeah, any sort of hatches or shafts or, or anything like that. Again, this is assuming that these these underground levels that we've heard talked about were you know a bit more built up than maybe what we're seeing. Yeah. So so why don't all three of you go ahead and give me search checks? Well, that luck we had yesterday is gone yeah so we've got a we've got a 73 over 40 for ben uh so that's a fail we've got a 52 over 20 for portia um that's also a fail and then we have a 66 over 40 and so in in delta green any doubles become critical so if it's a success it would be a critical success but in this case for sunny it's a critical failure um on the search check and so you don't know whether it's you know, the, the absolute, you know, scorching heat of the middle of the day in Death Valley, or whether you're just, you know, something doesn't seem quite right. Like maybe you're, maybe you're missing something. Um, something isn't quite clicking into place for you, but the three of you spend, you know, the next three, four hours, um, out in the sun, just kind of walking over different parts of the rubble, um, you know, digging at various places, you know, looking around, you know, looking back at the map that uh, that Clifford had, looking through his notebook. I mean, you're all trying to kind of rack your brain to figure out what was he digging for out here? Is there some sort of access underground um, that that's here that you're missing? And you're really just struggling. You're really you're not you're not finding any access points. A few different people mentioned that Clifford was out here, like, trying to dig up scrap metal, and you're not seeing any sign of 
any scrap metal um, or anything that he could have been collecting. So unless it was like already on the surface and he had just picked it up, then maybe this is not the place that he was like collecting the different like metal pieces that he was going to sell. Like you're all you're very confused and, you know, kind of four or so hours into this. And so, you know, it's getting to be early evening, you know, around five o'clock. Portia, you you're frustrated. You, uh, you know, you you walk back um, over to the, you know, to where you have some of the stuff setting down and you pull the map back out and you're just kind of looking it over and it you're not really sure how you missed it before again maybe it was the heat maybe it was you just were thinking you know you were assuming something else but you look at the dimensions of the kind of round hole um that's in the center of the map that uh clifford had drawn and you, you come up with an idea and so you kind of like you do kind of a loose measurement of this cleared out space um you know maybe you walk it off or whatever but you are pretty sure that that the 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 whole or the round thing on the map represents this kind of cleared out space. Uh, it seems to be about the same size as what is, as the dimensions on there. And you realize that the whatever the like pathways or roads or whatever that are like drawn on the outside of the map are pretty far away from this cleared out space. In fact, maybe even outside of the outside of the fencing, like way like kind of out in the desert around the outside of this area. Okay. So I definitely want to point that out and already starting to formulate an idea of like tomorrow in the daylight we should drive out to those. Are these uh, looking at the the map that that Portia has? These are just lines that are drawn that, you know, we are assuming are our roads or is it, are these like roads, highways that were already on the map themselves? So they, they look like double lines. So, you know, maybe it's a road, maybe it's a pathway of some sort. You're not sure exactly what they represent because they're not labeled, but, right. you know, they, they don't, it, it doesn't seem like they're, a, they're highways or anything like that. Or, it, you know, the, it doesn't look like the, the, the road up to the plant is labeled on there. Like, it, it seems to be something else um, that kind of, you're thinking, like, kind of goes around the perimeter of where the plant was. So my, my immediate thought is that they might, if we're, again, we're dealing with potentially, like, you know, underground, under the surface things, if these are, you know, maybe tunnels that were that Clifford had discovered if these were like the you know the starts of those double lines if those were like the entry points to those tunnels um and if they sort of like all led to this clearing that he has cleared out I'm also being mindful of like big picture what brought us here is that he got torn limb from limb by like something (laughs) so I don't I don't know if I would want to stay later or maybe like be in the car as it's getting dark also a reminder that you are both like yes that is what brought you here but also you're trying to figure out what did that right or what or who did that right so it's like it's this balance of like true you don't want you also don't want to be killed but it is also your responsibility to figure this out yeah and i guess if there are tunnels we could do that at nighttime and then no one would see us driving out to things yeah, I think 
I, I just think, um, yeah, being underground, um, it's probably going to be dark anyway. I, I don't think it's going to matter too much um, whether we're doing it in the, in the daytime or at night. You also have about like three hours until sunset also, right? So it's not like sunset is also not imminent. Yeah, I think Sunny, I think I selfishly want to to move quickly, right? You know, one, frustrated we haven't been able to find anything today, but two, also maybe not wanting to be out in Hellbent for the next week or so. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think checking out these sort of lines where at least they start uh, on the map would be a good idea. And I think, yeah, I'm trying to remember when did the coroner's report was it, I guess, probably for Clifford, not no, not so for Lucille. Was it able to determine when, like, when during the day Clifford's body was, uh, when Clifford was killed? Yeah, so he had estimated tw- between 6 and 9 p.m. was when the body was killed, yeah. Okay. So, I guess that's not exactly nighttime, but it looks like maybe we're approaching on that time. Did, I guess this is something for either Portia to to maybe think about. But did did Portia tell me the other day when she saw something when we were at Clifford's? No, right? Okay. Is that coming up at all for you, Portia? Like now that as as you're kind of thinking about this, like are you thinking back at all to 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 that moment that you saw something you thought you saw something moving out in the desert? Yes, and I think that's part of the um, reluctance to be in this space at the same time, but not gonna bring it up. Like very much like, oh, I probably made it up. Like it's my own paranoia or psycho, like I'm not bringing it up. It seems like Portia is the only one that's like kind of nervous at this point. And and Ben and Sunny are just really, uh, really like focused on trying to get this figured out as quick as possible. And Portia, do you think, do you think the nervousness, right, because it's it's like very understandable and reasonable for any person who like thinks there is something or someone out in the desert, you know, slaughtering people to not want to be there. But also as someone who is not only a part of Delta Green, but as someone who, you know, kind of is motivated by this idea of saving people from, you know, unnatural occurrences you know, things that dire- directly affected you and your family. What do you think the, like, push and pull of that is is feeling like for Portia at this point, where there's, like, a, you know, save-yourself type uh, urge, but also, you know, uh, my responsibility and my, my goals to save others from these things? Like, what do you think's going on in her head with that? I think she's feeling very much obviously motivated to understand, but feels like we're being a bit reckless and just kind of poking around without actually much information. I think if the rest of the team wants to go along with it, is not gonna say like, I don't wanna do this, but is very cognizant of the fact that we really don't understand what we're dealing with yet. And maybe like there, I do feel like there are more things we could research, like the gold cube, but again, not gonna say any of that. Yeah, and so because she doesn't say anything, I think it seems like Ben and Sunny are really interested in kind of surging forward and continuing along uh, the path that you're on. Does that sound right? Yeah, I would um, kind of ask Portia if she could, uh, you know, direct us to um, to one of these spots uh, on, on the map that she's noticed. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, we just heard Portia say that 
she wants to keep these things to herself, but I think if she is showing signs of, you know, trepidation or concern, I think I would want to ask why she's feeling that way. I'm not sure if she's willing to explain anything, but at least wanting to check in with her. All right, let's actually, we'll, we'll, we'll do a roll to, to determine here. So, uh, Portia, why don't you roll me a persuade check? And Sunny, why don't you roll me a, a hume int check? Um, and we'll, we'll see how this goes here. So that's a 23 under 60 for Portia's Persuade. But a 38 under 70 for um, for Sunny. So the way that these opposed checks in Delta Green works is the first thing you look at is like level of success, right? So a success would always be to failure. A critical success would be to success. But in these cases where you have two successes, it's actually, you know, normally you want the lower number, but the higher number actually wins here. Because, like, the, the reason for that would be, like, someone who has a an 80 in stealth and someone who has a 20 in alertness, if that's an opposed check, right? Like, the person who has the 80 in stealth is by far the more skilled person in the situation. And so it's actually the higher number in that case, even as long as it's still below your skill level, is what succeeds. And so, Sunny, you do actually pick up a little bit of hesitation from Portia. She doesn't say anything, but you, you know, you are, as we, as we talked about earlier, you're, you're this like almost human lie detector. And so you get a sense from her that like something, she's feeling uneasy about something. I I think I would ask Portia, uh, you know, why, what just, you know, what uh, is concerning her, why she uh, doesn't want to uh, go check out these, these potential entrances or paths, you know, while we're already out here. Yeah, not a nervousness, not a fear. I just don't feel, I don't really understand the plan. Like, we're going to drive out there and take a look. We don't have any digging materials. I mean, we can take a look. Yeah, I, I mean, similar to, you know, why we decided to, to come out here. I mean, we didn't know what we were going to find. Uh, we didn't know if there would be any, yeah. you know, entry points or holes to dig or whatever. But these seem to be like, you know, the best leads that we have after, you know, hours of searching in this one specific area, not finding anything. Yeah. Um, I think the hope is that we can, is that we can find a way underground that already exists. And if not, then then we can kind of regroup and and get the necessary materials before coming back. You could always rent uh, Jarvis's bobcat and bring it back out here and start digging around. Not suspicious at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think that might uh, yeah draw some eyes. But yeah, I guess I mean it, it, it no, seems like we've convinced. Portia that we want to go. I think I'm still uh, a bit worried that there's, you know, things that she isn't saying, but we can, we can, you know, move ahead, I guess. Yeah, let's move ahead. I am thinking still in my mind like that. I'm just reminding myself, I guess, the facts of the things that we do know in order to be prepared myself mentally of like, again, something that ripped two people limb from limb, a 300 million year old insect and radiation. So those are really kind of just like running in my mind more to be prepared than in an anxious way. Gotcha. So you all get back in the SUV and, you know, you you, you start driving out, you know, you're trying to measure the distance as well as possible. And, and now that you have some sort of grounding of this clearing space uh, on the map, you know, Clifford's map is, is very precise um, because there were measurements listed on the map. You just didn't know you didn't have anything to kind of compare those measurements to. 
but you think that you kind of you're able to get out the almost exactly the distance from that clearing out to where these whatever they are pathways are surrounding the old the 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 destroyed plant and so you get out there you don't see anything at first um but you you know you kind of just drive around um you know and it's 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 very easy to do at this point you're in a you're in an suv like it's 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 easy to kind of make a loop around the plant um where you think these pathways are and after not too long a little less than a mile outside of uh the ruins of the plant the land kind of drops off a little bit it starts to to kind of head downhill a little ways and uh you spot an opening in the earth what do you mean yeah you're you're not sure you can't you can't tell from kind of the this distance whether it's like a a natural cave or like a man-made opening but like it looks like kind of tucked behind kind of a ridge um, where the where the where the land had kind of started to to drop a little bit, there's some sort of opening in the ground, or maybe like opening in the wall of the ridge. Uh, but you would have to get closer to re- to really see what it is. I mean, I think it's it's showing us that the yeah that the map is is onto something and is 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 leading us somewhere. So I think we have to sort of get out and and go check, bringing the things we need potentially to if it looks safe enough to, to you know to venture into that opening. Yeah. I agree. All right, so you uh, you collect some things from the from the car and you start walking toward it. Um, and as you get closer, you see that it it's not a it's not a naturally occurring cave or anything like that. It's a culvert that has been carved out of the ground or carved into the ground. So it's like it's a it's like a 12 by 12 concrete tube that like leads into the ridge and underneath the ground. And it looks like based on kind of your sense of direction that it's leading back toward the plant. And you also notice that, you know, you haven't really seen this anywhere else, but the entrance to the culvert is covered in greenery, specifically like small plants with like single red flowers that are growing all around this area. And that is where we're going to end our story for today. Weird plants in weird places are... Wow. (laughs) Oh, nice. That's cool that we found this. You guys were right. We had to go out there. (laughs) (laughs) And you also may be right if you all get slaughtered while you're out here. (laughs) Yeah. Let it be known. I had a weird feeling. At least we died trying, if we... (laughs) That's right, that's right. This podcast was published by Arrangement with the Delta Green Partnership. The intellectual property known as Delta Green is a trademark and copyright owned by the Delta Green Partnership, who has licensed its use here. The scenario Future Perfect is copyright Dennis Detwiller, And the contents of this podcast are copyright Nature of My Game podcast, accepting those elements that are the components of the Delta Green intellectual property. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com.